Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode seven of the Mind Body Mastery podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Michaels, and I couldn't be more excited to share this episode with you. On the show today, we have Nicole Sachs, LCSW. She is a speaker, writer, and psychotherapist, and she's dedicated her work and her practice to the treatment of chronic pain conditions. She is the author of The Meaning of Truth, which is an amazing book that you must go grab. Um, and she also created an online course called Freedom from Chronic Pain. Through her personal journey, as well as working with hundreds of clients, she has shaped and evolved theories which serve to teach those suffering how to heal themselves completely with no medication, no surgery. She lives and works in coastal Delaware with her wife and their five beautiful children. You can find her course online at thecureforchronicpain.com. I'll also link to her YouTube channel, which is super helpful. She's got a Heal Yourself series on there that can guide you, you know, for free to finding out what your truth is and how that can heal you. She is gracious and, and engaging, and she's got a live seminar coming up on June 16th in the Chicagoland area. She will be at the Sheridan Northbrook Chicago Hotel. And I will be there, so I I am so excited for this event. And so if any of you out there are in the Milwaukee area and you want to ride, hit me up. I will drive at least three people in my vehicle. Um, I have a little Civic, so uh, four might be a squeeze. So um, let's get into the interview, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in today. You're going to love, 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 love this. So on the phone with me, I have Nicole Sachs, LCSW. I am so honored to have you here, Nicole. I found your video like a year ago um, when you spoke at the premiere for All the Rage, which is the Sarno documentary for those of you who are unaware. So it, I've been sending that video to every single one of my patients ever since, and it is uh, just such a compelling um, hopeful message. So thank you for being on the show with me today. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you, Nicole? I'm good. And if it's okay with you, I will just pop right into questions so that we waste no time here today. Is that okay? Sure. Okay. So like all of us who are obsessed with spreading the mind-body message, you came upon this work through your own chronic pain recovery journey. Can you share with our listeners a little bit about what you went through? Absolutely. So um, basically, I remember having back pain as early as a young child um, in elementary school, 10, 11 years old. I would remember my back aching. Um, it wasn't debilitating, but it's just a memory I have when I was getting ready for school in the morning, when I would straighten up after getting my pants on. I would be like, wow, my back hurts a little bit. Um, I did, never connected it to anything scary. It was just something that I noticed. 
And as I got older, um, in high school, it definitely became something that I noticed more often. And, um, you know, I had a, I didn't have a traumatic upbringing per se. Um, you know, I am a therapist, so I've heard about a lot of trauma. So it's hard for me to find, you know, a lot of, um, drama in my own life that would be so catastrophic, but I had a lot of stress and a lot of things that I didn't acknowledge. And so, when I got to college and I had my first acute pain incident, that's when everything really shifted. I was a freshman at college, and I was in um, a particularly stressful week uh, pledging a sorority, and I was 19 years old, and my back went out completely. Um, and when people say my back went out, the way I describe that physically is I was in excruciating pain. I could not get off the floor. Um, I, it felt like it was hard to breathe. It was really, really bad. And so my parents had to um, bring, bring me home from school physically. I required help to the bathroom. I was absolutely laid out. And so that's when I got my first um, series of tests. I got uh, x-rays and MRI, and um, an orthopedic surgeon at that point gave me my first, my first information on my diagnosis, which is um, severe degenerative spondylolisthesis. And so... At the time, being 19, they told me that spinal fusion surgery was not going to be necessary at the moment because I was young and healthy, but I probably wouldn't live to 40 without it, which um, was, 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 was a joke um, in, on my 40th birthday when I was at a concert dancing all night um, mm -hmm. as I never had surgery um, nor any other procedure to affect my spine. But, um, but that was, you know, I was 19 years old. And so basically what they told me at the time was I would probably be okay if I could limit my life in a number of ways. And um, so I was sort of sitting there at 19 listening to this doctor tell me there would be no more sports, there would be no more travel, there would be no more riding in a car for more than an hour because the bounciness could really continue to degenerate my spine. Um, there would be no lifting of anything more than a few pounds. It wouldn't be a good idea to stand for prolonged periods of time. I had to sleep either in the fetal position or with my legs pretty seriously elevated. And so they gave me this recipe for keeping myself healthy, which I like to say is a life fueled by fear, mm -hmm. um, where everything I did had to be carefully thought about and I had to make sure it wasn't going to stress my back too much. And um, the biggest thing for me at the time also was hearing that the, there was a, um, it was not likely that I would carry a baby to term because um, if I were to do that, it would be putting my body in incredible um, distress and potentially damage because of the weight of the baby on my back. And if I ever did want to have a biological child, it would, would require months and months of bed rest. And um, at the time, this was really traumatic because I was one of those kids that had been envisioning having my own family since I was a really little girl. You know, we, we all have different fantasies as children. Um, some people want to grow up to be the president. Some people want to grow up to fly planes or be a nurse or whatever it is you want to be. I really wanted to be a mommy. Um, and, and I know in my heart that motherhood has been a serious part of my calling as a human being. And at the time, it, that was very devastating because although, of course, there, are, there is adoption and there's so many different ways to have a family, in my heart, one of my greatest 
fantasies and passions and joys was to be pregnant and have children. And so it was a really, really big um, hit for me. But, you know, I was young and I, you know, had no choice but to survive. And so I took the information and I just continued living my life. You know, I took enough steroids and had, you know, enough time where I took painkillers and I I got past that acute incident when I was 19 and I continued to live my life and I graduated from college and then I graduated from grad school where I got my master's in social work, which was the beginning of my licensure as a therapist. And I was in my mid-20s when one day my mother, and I had chronic pain, so let's just say I wasn't in acute pain, but I had a problem with my back. It would hurt me a lot. I would call and say, I can't go to this. I wouldn't travel. I wouldn't play sports. So I listened to the doctors, and I did live a life fueled by fear. Mm. Um, So one day my mother was watching uh, the Rosie O'Donnell show back when she had a daily talk show, and Rosie had put out a plea and said, please help my producer, Jeanette Barber. She's in a motorized wheelchair, and she um, can't. She's been to every doctor, had every procedure. She is in so much pain. Please, if anybody knows anything that can help her. And apparently, droves of people wrote in, and they said, has she read the work of Dr. John Sarno? So my mother called me in absolute joy and hysteria, saying, you must. You must read this book. You need to learn about whatever this is, this woman, because my mother was watching the follow-up episode mm-hmm. where Jeanette Barber, previously in a motorized wheelchair, did a cartwheel on stage. So it was really kind of phenomenal, life-changing, kind of shocking kind of stuff. Yeah. And, of course, you know, it's enticing. Like, what is this? What, what is this that, we, that people are doing? So I read his work. And what I, how, the way I understood it at the time, and granted it was a long time ago and I was still sort of a kid in my early mid-20s, what I understood at the time was when your back is hurting, of course, there may be something that doctors um, t- let you know is, is structurally wrong with your body. However, another thing is going on in your, in your mind-body system that you are very angry. This is what Dr. Sarno wrote in the, in the book I read, which was Healing Back Pain. Mm-hmm. You're very angry, and if you can identify the reason for your anger, and acknowledge it, there will be no need for the pain because the pain's trying to keep your mind off all the things in your life that are making you so angry. So that was my first very, very basic understanding of Dr. Sarno's theories. Mm -hmm. And so I figured I was going to do a science experiment on myself. What did I have to lose? Mm -hmm. And every time I got a real twang in my back and, like, you know, took my breath away and I was in a situation where usually... I was stuck there, you know, mm-hmm. whether it was at a job or if I was, you know, dealing with something unpleasant or an obligation, you know, usually I was kind of stuck in something. And I took a moment and I just said, Nicole, why are you so angry? This might sound crazy that this could help your back, but why are you so angry? And I would come up with it. You know, I would be honest and I would come up with it. And um, the pain, 10 minutes later, I would tend to the pain and it would be gone. And I was like, hmm, that's just crazy. Mm-hmm. That's just Thing. And that is how I lived my life for quite a while. And um, as I have told many a time when I'm telling my story, I um, carried on to have two beautiful, healthy pregnancies where I, um, I, I exercised till the day of each of them were born. Uh, they were born healthy and full term, Isabella and Oliver, and they were 22 months apart. And all was well. And I did not have back pain. 
and then one day I was on my deck. Uh, my little my little Isabella was toddling around, and Oliver was about ten months old, and he was walking in a in a baby walker. And I didn't want the walker to go off the stairs. There were two stairs between the deck and the driveway, and I picked up the walker and I started walking them down the two steps. And by the second step, I felt it. It felt like a hot knife dragging through my lower back, and I gently put him down, and I stayed in an L, and I called out to my friend, and I said, I so this is now it's real. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I say to people, the biggest um, crisis in trying to live this journey of understanding that we live in a mind-body system, and sometimes we feel things in our heart, and sometimes we feel things in our body, the biggest difficulty is when you get scared, and then you say, no, 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 now something's, quote, really wrong with me, and you can't allow yourself to go in the mind-body route because you're in such a panic, and that's what happened to me. I said, okay, well, you know, I somehow was able to sidestep this reality for a period of time, and thank God I have these kids, but I am not going to be okay now, and that began the real story of the worst chronic pain of my life, which lasted about a year where I was in physical therapy three days a week, electric stim treatments on my back, medrol packs, which are steroid um, step-down packs, um, opioid pain medications. Um, It was nothing was helping. I would get therapeutic massages, and my pain would be worse on the day I had the massages. And I was in absolute agony. I was snappy. I was unhappy. I would yell at my kids. It was really a very dark time in my life and um, crying myself to sleep at night, feeling like my life was over, feeling like my life was damaged. And so um, it was a really hard time for me. And um, the, the final event that ended up changing my life, and I often tell people, when I look back on my journey, I am so grateful for the pain, even though People who are in pain and listening to this are probably like, give me a break. But I, I really am because I had to reach the lowest moment of desperation in order to surrender. And when I work with people and when I teach and when I speak and I help them understand what freedom comes with surrender, I laid my weapon down and I said, help me. And when you do that, huge shifts change in the energy of your life and in the opportunities of the universe to give you what you need. Mm -hmm. And the way it happened for me was I was with my two children. I was with Oliver and Isabella. Oliver was about one and change, and Isabella was about three. And we were in a deli, and I was going to pay. And there were all sorts of delicious, beautiful treats and snacks in clear containers right at the eye view of a person who is three feet tall. And they were, um, my kids were just grabbing them and they were laughing and they were running around and it was so out of control. And I was so embarrassed and I was trying to wrench these, you know, gummy worms and yogurt-covered pretzels out of his hands and put him back on the shelf. And I was trying to pay, and people were looking at me, and I had bags because I had bought things. And it was just one of these moments that any mom of young children will have tremendous. I'm sure your heart is, uh, whoever you are, your heart is, is flowing with empathy for me at these moments of just feeling like nobody in the world has ever had it as hard as you. And um, I paid for my stuff, and I got my bags, you know, around my forearms, and I grabbed my kids one hand in each of my hands and I start walking to the car in a very active parking lot 
And as I'm walking to the car, I feel my back and it's getting worse and tighter and more painful. And I'm like, oh no. And I start numb then the fear. Okay. So the chronic pain is really an epidemic of fear. So the fear is starting to rise. And when I got to the car, I, I couldn't get them in the car. I couldn't reach my keys. I couldn't reach my phone. Mm-hmm. I couldn't let go of either of their little hands because I was in such an active parking lot that had I let go for one moment, either of them could have run into traffic without any sense of danger. And I was in an absolute panic, and I just held on to them. Once I realized there was no way for me to physically get them in the car, I held on to them, and I just rested my forehead on my driver's side window of my car, and I just cried. And it was such a low moment. Talk about a moment of desperation. And I was so sad and so scared and so just pitiful of, like, what is my life? And I don't think I had the access to what I really needed to heal at that point to realize in order to heal my pain because that would come later. But I... I cried and let it out for long enough that I kind of relaxed enough to get them into the car finally. It was a really, I don't, I, to this day, I don't know if it was minutes or hours. It was mm. so, um, it was like time stood still. Yeah. And I got them in the car and I drove home and I got them to bed and I just had my moment, my moment of absolute surrender where I sat on my bed and I looked out the window into the stars, into the blackness of the night and I said, I give up. I'll do anything, you know, Mm. mess with me, but don't mess with my kids. And that was when I went to see Dr. Sarno. Wow. And so you worked with him like as a colleague. Um, Can you tell me about how that came to be? Sure. Yes. So when, after I met with him and I went through his program and I did the work for myself, I was already a, um, licensed therapist and I had taken a big break to go back to work and have my kids. I had another baby in the meantime. So then I had Charlotte and, um, I decided that I wanted to be of service. So I called him one day. He didn't even know me except for the fact that I was one of his patients. And I called him. I said, listen, you know, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm I'm, I'm about to be back into being a practicing therapist and I want to be of service to you. And he said, well, why don't you come into the city I do something called an alumni panel at NYU Medical Center once a month. Why don't you come participate in that? That's a great way for you to be of service. So I started coming, and um, I have to say, humbly, uh, my speech became popular, and people would be requesting me month after month, so I would be in a lot um, and, and speaking and sharing and answering questions after. And then he approached me and said, would you be willing to be in my network of therapists? And, and so, um, at the time, uh, he had a lot of people in the city, but not many outside of the city. And I was at the time in Westchester County, New York. So he was referring into my practice and I had a practice out in the suburbs and he and I became super close and he was just such a mentor for me. And I, um, I would run by, you know, the theories I was developing through him, and he would just be just so enthusiastic. He was such a support because I was quite a bit younger, uh, probably about younger by like 20 years Mm -hmm. from any of the other therapists he had in his his network because a lot of them had been his peers. Um, And I was, you know, I was very young. I was in my early 30s. And so um, he was just such, he really wanted to nourish and nurture my work in order for it to rise up. And, you know, 
up until I, I last saw him, the first, I don't know which one you heard me speak at, but I think the first premiere of All the Rage was at the uh, Independent Film Festival, NYC. I don't yeah. know if you were at that one. but no, um, I wasn't. Yeah, I just saw the video, and it was the one where you talked about the Etch-A-Sketch and all that. So it was... Oh, uh, yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. That's that's on my YouTube channel. Yes. So, um, so yeah. So I, he, he, I last saw him there. That was a few months before his death at the premiere in the city. And I just... Um, I honor his legacy. You know, that's mm-hmm. what I see as my life's calling, is to, to bring forth his work in a way that I think speaks to people very intimately, that helps them engage their own story and um, and heal themselves. Wow. So you wrote a book called The Meaning of Truth, and in there you talk about a specific journaling method that you call journal speak. Can you kind of share with our listeners a little bit about that? Sure. So journal speak was born uh, after I saw Dr. Sarno in person for the first time after the Delhi incident, the horror of the Delhi incident. Yeah. And... Um, I was sitting down and I was journaling, and I was doing what I was told, which Dr. Saunders' program involves journaling. And I just got a notion as I was writing about motherhood, and I was writing about how I'm tired and how it's overwhelming and how, you know, it takes a lot of patience. And it was all the things that we tell our friends over coffee. It wasn't a lie, but there was something deeper that I knew. I felt it. It was almost like when you feel like the tide coming. I knew there was something that I wasn't going to be healed from that kind of journaling. What started to rise in me was, Nicole, it was almost like a message. It was almost a spiritual experience. Mm -hmm. It was like a message. felt like it came from outside of me that just said, you need to really tell the truth. You want to heal? You want your life back? You know, do you want to take care of your kids? Do you want to make sure they're safe and, and loved? You need to really tell the truth. And what started to rise in me was, you need to talk about the stuff that's dark. You need to talk about the stuff that people don't mention over coffee with Mm -hmm. their friends, that people barely even have the courage to mention to themselves in their private moments. And and that's what I coined journal speak. And you know, it was it was epic for me because like I said, I had wanted to be a mother since I was six years old and I had a huge lifetime of expectations about what that would be and what it would look like and how it would nurture me, and this is journal speak, what I'm about to say, how it would heal all the wounds of my childhood, Mm. right? I was going to create this family that was going to erase every painful thing that happened when I was being raised. And, you know, that's not a conscious thought that people think, but I'll promise you that that's under there for a lot of people. You know, I will prove it to everybody. I will show them. I will fix it. I will be perfect. I will make my experience into what it always should have been. And my goodness, is that a trap? Um, And I realized in that moment that that was what I had been doing and that my life, because I was trying to do some things that are impossible, you cannot heal all your wounds by making your children the best birthday party. (laughs) You know, it's not going to, it's not going to work. And when I realized that I realized that I saw my life as a failure and I saw parenting as something I hated and that was something I had to admit. And the beauty of journal speak is it really doesn't stay true. I needed to say I hate being a parent. I needed to say my life is a failure. I needed to say I'm trapped Mm -hmm. in order to realize how once you clear away that toxicity that's been running through your system and see it for what it really is, I had to do a lot of emotional work. I had to mourn the fact that 
I thought that I could fix it and I can't. Mm -hmm. And I had to be really human with myself and look at my flaws and realize that perfectionism is a trap. And there were so many things that, you know, so I'm, I'm obviously truncating an incredibly deep and long process. But what I came up with is journal speak. And what I came up with is a recipe to teach people how to be honest with themselves safely. Because a lot of times those kind of revelations, if taken alone, make people very depressed. You know, what, what, what? Things ruined now? What, I'm trapped? Mm-hmm. You know, so what I teach people is a process by which to, um, to be honest in a way that is raw, in a way that is impolite, in a way that is unacceptable, because it's totally private. Nobody needs to hear but you. Mm. And the magic of this, and this is where we bring in Dr. Sarno's epic genius, is that once you let those feelings out, the pain is no longer necessary. Because the pain in your body is simply a function of diverting you from these very dark, unacceptable feelings that threaten to rise to your consciousness. And so, you know, you turn your neck the wrong way, and now you can't move your neck, and you're busy going to doctor's appointments and, you know, alternative treatments and massages and physical therapy, and you're you're so busy that those feelings, once again, are pushed deep down. Right. And nobody wants that life. Yeah. So... I've sent your videos and your YouTube channel to probably like 75% of my patients. And I find that initially people are kind of afraid to dig into the negative, almost as if they're afraid that putting their attention on what's wrong or scary will essentially manifest more of the same. Do you run into this? And how do you assure people that they're safe to explore those emotions? I do run into this constantly. Yes. Um, it is the biggest fear <laughs> that people that people have, and um, well, there are a couple ways that I um, that I deal with it. One of the first things I say to people is, "If nothing changes, nothing changes." So, how do you like your life right now? Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm a little bit of a bully <laughs> in I the like lovingest it. possible way. <laughs> no, life is a choice between what hurts and what hurts worse. Is one of the big mantras of my practice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not going to be fun. So let's just start right there. It's going to suck. But guess what? I promise you, you're going to be out of pain from it. I work with the fuel of thousands and thousands and probably millions, if you count Dr. Sarno's work, millions of people healed. Mm -hmm. You know, I say to people, you're not that unique. Be happy with that. Be glad that you're not that unique. You're no different than anybody else that is healed. So, yeah, it's scary but it's going to heal you and you are going to be awakened to your life in a way that you can't possibly imagine. So come be magical with me, yeah. you know, let's do this, yeah. you know, and I do that with my writing and I do that with my teaching. It's not just when I'm alone with someone, I don't even, I don't even take new patients into my private practice anymore because I'm just too, I'm too overwhelmed with bringing this message to the global community. And I have a practice that um, I have a I have a small practice that I keep going um, because I'm you know loyal to these people and I also think it keeps me fresh and it keeps the ideas alive. Mm. But but really, I mean, people who are afraid and what I say to them is anything worthwhile is scary. Yeah. Anything, but you know, um, how long do you want to suffer? Because you can choose to stop suffering anytime. Yeah. Awesome. So. 
I don't know about you, but I have a much harder time getting my male patients on board with the emotional work, no doubt due to like that deep conditioning of males mm-hmm. in our society to be strong. And so how do you navigate kind of encouraging your male patients to do do the deep digging? Um, I think I pretty much use the same, same techniques in general on everyone. You know, it's amazing um, how you can open someone's humanity just by being so human yourself. Yeah. Um, I just say, listen, you know, if I see someone struggling, I'll say, listen, I see in you where the fear is. I see in you where the resistance is. You know, with a lot of men, it's like my father told me to buck up mm-hmm. and, you know, no feelings. And I'll say, I get it now, but how's it working for you yeah. living up to your father's ideals? Half the time their father is dead or their father is someone they speak to or their father is someone they speak to and they love, but they don't want to be like him. Yeah. You know, and I say, you know, you have the power I, I really think, okay, so, so this is one way to address that question, even also in a broader sense. When I come up against resistance in anyone, male or female, but it also speaks very much to the societal conditioning you mentioned about men and, and how they're taught to not feel, I just say to people, listen, we are in a time of transformation and change, spiritually, emotionally, as a society and as, as a human race, I believe. And people are awakening all the time, and it is a beautiful thing to witness. And so maybe a naysayer could say, oh, well, you know, that stuff you do, it couldn't work for everyone. Or, or couldn't work, yeah, it couldn't work for everyone. And I would say, okay, perhaps it couldn't work for everyone. But I believe it can work for you. Mm. Because all we are is millions and millions of individuals. And the only person that can be your best advocate is you. And so when I'm sitting with someone and they say, you know, I could never do this, say, yeah, but you get to choose for yourself. This is your life, you know, and really does wake people up and inspire them to step outside of whatever they've been taught and say, wow, I get to fix this if I feel like it. You know, I don't have to follow some social moray that was, that was created long before I was born and I don't even agree with. Yeah. Awesome. So do you ever find that people misunderstand journal speak and use it as yet another vehicle to self-judge and self-deprecate? I think um, maybe if they haven't really read my, my work yeah. or studied what I, I think once people read what, what I, how I explain it, they don't think that. Yeah. Um, so, so to be honest, no, I don't run into that a lot. I think the worst, the, the biggest barrier, something you kind of alluded to earlier, which is people say, oh, won't I, like, if I'm looking at all that dark stuff, won't it just make me more depressed? That's really what I run into most. Mm -hmm. Um, And people who are trying to sort of um, conjure abundance and the law of attraction, and they say, well, aren't you supposed to only think about positive things? And what I explain to people is, this is a really great analogy for this. So let's say that you have an office in your house and you want to make it beautiful. You want to make it just your special space and a place that you can feel, you know, mentally and emotionally and spiritually exceeded in yourself. And so you have this office and it's all full of boxes and old stuff and it's dusty and it's, it's covered in, in, in things like it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's inaccessible. Mm -hmm. And I would say, okay, well here you have this office, right? You want this to be this beautiful, abundant place. There's no room for your beautiful abundance if you don't clean it out. 
There's none. You could walk in with the best attitude in the world, and you could climb around the boxes and paint where you could. It's not going to be what you want if you don't clean it out. And that's what people need to do. They need to understand we cannot sidestep this process. The only way out is through. And when people accept that, they might have to mourn a little and say, oh, God, I just don't want to do it. And I say, I know you don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's a chore. It. <laughs> if you do and you take the time to sweat and carry and, and sneeze with the dust and, and pull out the stuff and then go through the trouble of how much of a pain it is to get rid of it, you're going to have this bright open space and you can invite in anything you choose. And that's such a beautiful thing. I love that. So um, what do you say to those people who say something like, I've been journaling for three months and I'm in more pain than ever. What the heck? I say, if it took you 40 years to walk into the woods, you're not going to walk out in three months. And this is a lifelong process. It gets easier and easier and easier. And also, considering this is, Dr. Sarno used to say, my theories are more scientific than surgery. This is something that people really need to get. Journaling is not to make you feel better. Journaling is to literally rewire your brain. You have been, there are neural pathways that are well-tread in your brain that have been wired for pain because you're suppressing these feelings for so long that the only way to save you from them is to give you chronic migraines, to give you chronic back pain, to give you IBS so you can't go 10 feet from the bathroom, to give you fibromyalgia so you're, you're housebound. I mean, this is what your body has done in this misguided attempt to protect you. Yeah. And so, you're yes, you've been journaling for three months and you're in more pain. You have no idea what's out there for you. Keep going. Keep going. Patience, kindness, and forgiveness for yourself, first of all, every day. You know, people who are susceptible to this have the kind of personalities where they want things right away and they want it to look perfect, and that is not the way this goes. It's not a straight line to healing. It's an up and a down. But what I do promise people, and I'm halfway through this manuscript of my new book called Journal Speak, is that if... You keep doing it. Well, here's what's going to happen. One day, you're going to be backing down the driveway, and you're going to turn your head, and you're going to be three-quarters down the driveway before you realize that your neck didn't hurt. Yeah. And then you're going to go, hmm, interesting. And then it's going to come back. And then you're going to say, eh, I knew I was broken. Right. But keep going. <laughs> and then two weeks later, you're going to be you know, walking to the mailbox, and you're going to get all the way there, and your back didn't even hurt you. And you're going to say, hmm, that's funny. And what I say is, believe it. Believe it. Invite in the healing the same way you invited in the pain, you know, and allow yourself to get better. Most people who are journaling for three months and still not feeling any relief are people who are still questioning the diagnosis, going back and forth of, am I really broken? There's a lot of factors here, which is why I encourage people. And I say this not as a hard sell. I say this because it will save your life to really dive in. Would I say with four paws, take my course, read my book. You know, if you can, and I know that um, you'll probably give me a moment to discuss this, come to my live event in Chicago next month. Like, do it, and do it hardcore, because once you really get this going, you can be pain-free for the rest of your life. You'll still experience human pain, but never chronic pain again, never anything that will make you feel fear. Yes. Awesome. So you just mentioned your online course. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So the course is called Freedom from Chronic Pain. 
I uh, started writing it when I stopped taking new patients because I was being barraged with emails of people all over the country and the world, because I do all remote work, saying, oh, work with me, work with me. And I realized this is never going to work because I do not have more than one of me. And so I, I, I started creating the course, and um, I worked really hard on making it as close as possible to the experience of working with me. So there's videos, there's guided meditations, there's um, reading and writing assignments, and there's um, projects to do. So projects I might suggest um, if, if someone were my patient, you know, projects that I would say, do this, and we're going to talk about it next week. And so I kind of um, spent a lot of time cultivating my best practices and I created this course, and it's 14 comprehensive lessons, and I say it can easily be completed in 30 days, you know, because you could t- sort of um, take one lesson and sort of put it over two days, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And um, and it's available on my website, which is thecureforchronicpain.com, and you can get your first lesson for free. So if you go to the, um, the homepage of thecureforchronicpain.com, there's a, a very obvious button right in the middle to get your first lesson for free. Um, and to get a t- get a taste of the way I teach, and um, and I have been getting amazing feedback. Okay. I have been getting. I had a woman um, contact me. Why well, more than one? But I mean, there's just one woman that came to mind very recently um, from Australia, and she had told me that um, she had been doing the work. She had been reading the Sarno book, trying, trying. She took the course, and within the month, she was pain free. Mm-hmm. And I don't ever, I don't ever want to set expectations. Like I never want people to compare their journey to somebody else's, but but it's it's possible. I I woke up to an email. This this is another one that, please, this is um, whatever they call disclaimer, disclaimer. This doesn't happen for everyone. (laughs) But I had I woke up to an email this morning from another guy happens to be in Australia. I guess I'm getting popular in Australia. that wrote me that he was already on lesson seven for the course, and I looked at his name and I'm like, "This guy bought the course like three days ago, so obviously he's an overachiever." Yeah. <laughs> but um, he wrote me an email, and I woke up to it that he was um, had just completed lesson seven, and at the end of the lesson, he was 95 percent pain free wow. from pain that he had had for a long time. So sometimes it's just the realization that you don't need to be sick and that it is an emotional thing working to keep you in pain that offers a tremendous amount of immediate relief to people. However, the reason I said disclaimer is you need to understand that if a person like this guy didn't continue doing the work, it's very possible the pain could manifest. You know, he might not get back pain anymore, but he might get like stomach problems or head problems or skin problems because your body is needing the release of this toxicity. So I do recommend that people, even if, you know, you read the book and you become pain-free, do the work. Do the work as a gift to yourself. It's not just being out of pain. Your whole life will become available to you when you're not wasting so much time repressing your emotions. Yeah. Awesome. What do you think, this is an odd question, but what do you think would happen to the U.S. economy if every single person (laughs) started doing journal speak? (laughs) You know, it's funny that you ask because I do have these kind of grandiose notions. Um, I, I am, I'm going to take it further. Ready? Yeah. I think it would create world peace. Yes, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> More than just the U.S. economy. I think that if, you know, I always say it, maybe it won't work for everyone, but it could work for you. If every you out there decided, you know what? I want a better life. Screw it. I'm doing this for myself. The entire world would transform. Yeah. And I'm not even joking. This is my goal. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. <laughs> it's a wonderful goal. I love it. 
So um, I also want to have you just kind of speak about that live event coming up in Chicago on the 16th. Can you kind of give our listeners a little synopsis? Sure. Okay. So this is my first actual solo live event. I have spoken at many, many different conferences, wellness festivals, and aligned myself with different amazing physicians and done work like that and done private retreats um, for people around the country. But this is the first time I'm opening it to the public and I'm doing a live event in Chicago. It is, like you said, Saturday, July 16th. It will be from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. June 16th? Sorry, did I say July? Sorry, June, 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 June 16th. Yeah, great. People are going to show up a month late. Um, June 16th, and it is in Chicago at the Sheraton Northbrook Hotel, which I know is just, I think it's north of the city. Um, I'm not from Chicago, but I have a lot of um, people who follow my work in the Midwest, and so I decided to do my first one in Chicago. Um, And I'm also very closely aligned with Dr. Strax, um, John Strax, who has a TMS practice. in, in He used to be part of Northwestern, and now he's branched out on his own. To, are you familiar with Dr. Yes, Strax's yes, work? Yes, okay, yeah. mm-hmm. He is a dear colleague of mine. He refers often, often into my practice. Some of the most powerful stories of recovery have come from his patients. Yeah. Um, and um, and so um, and he and I are also planning to do a big um, weekend retreat event in the fall. So um, he was he was tied up for the summer. He's really busy opening his new practice. So I decided I'm going to start in Chicago. Um, it's going to be. Absolutely, I think it's going to be magical because I want to engage people's stories. I'm going to teach all about journal speak. I'm going to speak like I'm speaking now, really with the kind of confidence and inspiration that I hope can really ignite that kind of fire in each person that attends and bring them out of their fear. Because really, chronic pain is an epidemic of fear. Okay, we'll say it's an epidemic of pain. It's truly much more an epidemic of fear, and that's something I can explain in much more detail when I have people um, in the room with me, because the energy of that room, I believe, is going to be just um, really magnetic and, yeah. and help people to to bring their best selves. And um, and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be interactive. I'm going to take questions. I'm going to take questions with follow-up questions, because one of the things I say a lot is people will ask me a question that they write me an email, and I'll try to address it in a YouTube video but sometimes questions are most fully answered where it can be follow-up questions and follow-up questions from somebody else and really a discussion, and that's what I'm going to also cultivate that day. Awesome. Well, I can't wait. I'm going to try to be there myself. Um, and so we're going to wrap things up here. I have one more question, um, and then I'll ask for final comments, but what are your top three favorite books to recommend to patients that are non-TMS related? Okay. Ooh, okay. That's a good question. <laughs> or um, top two, whatever. <laughs> okay. No, no, no. Let me think about it. Um, one book that I love to recommend that is non-TMS related is The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Yes. It is a, oh my God, the wisdom in that book. I read the whole thing twice and yeah. I still kind of need to read it again. Yeah, me too, <laughs> me too. It is just, it is just so transformative. So I love that book. Um, I love the book Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Um, that is about, okay, what Dr. Sarno used to call soothe factors. Yeah. So 
Yes, you need to, of course, get all this toxicity out of your system with these repressed emotions, but you also have to nurture that little kid in you that just needs to feel joy and have some fun and feel like life is, is light. Because, yeah. you know, obviously the process I'm, I'm suggesting is not very light. And Big Magic is this book about finding your creative spark within and realizing how worthy you are, even if you can't, you know, write an opera or, you know, uh, climb the Kilimanjaro, you know, like you don't have to be some amazing, perfect, epic thing to have this like magic within you. So that's a really good book. Um, yeah, that's a really good one to check out. Another really good book to check out. And I'm forgetting the author's name. It's a book called the war of art. Um, it's by, have you heard of it? It's by the, it's by the guy who wrote The Legend of Bagger Vance. His, his name is escaping me right now. But um, that's another book similar to Big Magic about fighting resistance. And the reason why, um, why it's great, even though it's not TMS-related for a TMS, a person on a TMS journey, The War of Art is about the fact that resistance mm. is there because it's hiding your soul's calling. And that if you are feeling resistant to something, it's because something behind it is really going to be magical for you. And um, a lot of times the reason people don't pick up their pen or pick up, open their keyboard to journal is because they're feeling resistance. Yeah. And resistance comes in, it's, resistance is tricky. Resistance can sound like your own voice talking to you, which says, you really have a lot more important things to do today, or you're really too tired, or this is really stupid, it's never going to work for you. And that voice sounds like a familiar one that yes. you usually listen to because yes. it's your voice, and, and you don't do it. And, um, and the War of Art is all about how if you can just push past your resistance that everything you want in your life is waiting on the other side. Yeah. So I like that one too. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been just my dream, really. I didn't uh, expect to have you on the show so soon. So thank you so much for being here. I'm going to link to everything we mentioned in the show notes. And I encourage all of my listeners to join you at this amazing event coming up on June 16th at the Sheridan Northbrook. I hope to be there as well. Do you have any final words for our listeners today, Nicole? Um, I will just say what I say to everybody, which is the life you save is your own and give yourself the gift of being curious. Even if you don't, even if you hear this and you're like, oh, I don't know, that could never work for me, just give yourself the gift of being curious. Check it out. Read some stuff. Open yourself to the experience. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate you taking the time. It's my pleasure. Yeah, and I look forward to hopefully meeting you uh, in June. So, that would be awesome. Awesome. Well, you have a wonderful day, Nicole. Thank you so much. All right. Talk to you soon. Okay, right, bye. Bye. Okay, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I just loved every minute of that. She is just so good at putting hope and faith into the minds and hearts of anyone who will listen to her. So that's why I think her seminar coming up is going to be just so life-changing for anyone who's ready to heal. So if you're ready to heal and if you're in the Milwaukee area, like I said in the beginning, feel free to reach out to me. I would be happy to carpool with you, give you a ride, whatever you need. Um, you can reach out to me at mindbodymasterypodcast at gmail.com. And yeah, I think it'll be uh, one not to miss. So please, please join me on June 16th. All the information for that 
event is in my show notes today. So click on the link. Um, It'll be well, well worth the price of admission. So thanks so much for joining me today. Please remember to subscribe and rate me on iTunes if you're enjoying anything that you've heard today or any other day. Um, That's really the, the best way that we can spread this message of hope to as many people as possible. Thanks again for tuning in, guys. Such a pleasure to have you every week. I am honored and humbled and grateful. Thank you.